Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Well, today the title is Run by Faith, Not by Sight. You'll see why I changed it a little bit. I tweaked, the, tweaked it a little. Uh, run by faith, not by sight. 1 Kings 18, 45 to 19, 3. Now, I used to run. I ran cross country in high school, and uh, I hated it. Hated it. But it was really good for me. And I was looking, Cam's not here. I was hoping Cam was here. I was going to use him for some of my backups here. But it, the, I, it was good for me because it was great for character development, and it also taught me perseverance. And that's what running, if you've ever long dust, run long distance, that's what you know it does. One of my favorite running stories about perseverance is the very first marathon. The very first marathon, and I just pull up my little story here. It's uh, from Olympic Flashbacks by Karen Ross. I've saved this from many, many years ago. But I'll just read you some clips from this. Even though the... The Olympics began in 776 B.C. Been going a while, right? 776 B.C. The first marathon was not included in the Olympics until what year? Anybody know? No? No Olympic fans here? 1896, the first modern games. That's when they had the first Olympic marathon. It was added as a celebration of an important run by a Greek runner in 490 B.C. 490 B.C. That year, Athens, the Greek city-state, was threatened by... Persia. Persia showed up with this huge fleet. They're going to conquer the, the Greece, Greece there, and they're going to take Athens. And they just reached the Greek shores near the plains of Marathon. The plains of Marathon. All right, come on. Some of you must have known history somewhere. Come on. All right. All right, so the Athenian army, the, 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 the Athenian, I'm sorry, the, the Athenian army marches out to meet the Persians on the plains of Marathon. They're greatly outnumbered, like, whoa, we can't fight these guys. So the general, I'm not even going to try to pronounce these names. I'll use Milt for short. It's longer than that, but Milt's the beginning. Uh, Milt, General Milt says, we got to send for help. So he says, I'm going to send to, a runner to, Sparta, thank you, somebody. Thank you. Sparta. Remember the Greek city-states, and they were always kind of competing, but also maybe helped each other out, kind of like the USA today in the States, right? But anyway, the, um, the, he decides to send a runner for reinforcements. He says, we can't fight these, so they go look for the best fighters out there, go to Sparta, and he has this guy, and I'll call him Pip for short. It's a long, long, but a PIP is in there, so I'm going to go with Pip, the runner. And um, the, he sends him, and he runs 150 miles to Sparta in Two days. Two days. Runs to, to, to Sparta. He says, help us, help us. Uh, help us, help us. Or the hunter will shoot me dead. You know that whole thing. So anyway, uh, he says, help us. Sparta says, uh-uh. We hope you get wiped out. Mm. Yeah, so they, they won't help him. So he turns around and runs back 150 miles in two days. Gets there just in time to fight. Joins in the battle. Fights in the battle, right? He's fighting in the battle, and they have a miraculous victory. They beat the Persians. It's a big shock. And the Persians go running back, get on their ships. The ones that are still alive get back on their ships. They, they pull out into the, you know, the, pull out there into the ocean there. And the general's like, uh oh. They kind of headed kind of toward where Athens was, not too far away. And he says, 
I better get the word back that we won because they could go back and say, hey, we defeated your army, so we want you to surrender. They could open the gates and this whole battle will be for nothing. So he says, I need someone to get there quick. (laughs) We all know this is coming. Uh, So he says, Pip, (laughs) you're not doing anything. So he says, I want you to run to Athens quick. And tell them, we win. We won. Don't open this. Don't, don't surrender to the Persians in case they come showing up, right? So he takes off running to, from the plains of Marathon to Athens. It's 26. Thank you. Some of you do. Okay. Some of you, uh, 26 miles away. He runs the last 26 miles. He's exhausted. He, from fight, running those 150 miles and from fighting in the battles, but he runs his 26 miles as fast as he can. He comes through the gate. He says, rejoice, we conquer. And he dropped dead. Drops dead. He hit his limit. So, we're going to see today that we are called to run life's race, which at times can be very difficult. Anybody got an amen for that? Oh, I heard plenty just on the way in, right? Lots of hugs and we have lots of tears with us, right? Lots going on in all of our lives. Uh, But the way that we run and the way that we live in this race is a message. Just as Pip says, rejoice, we conquer. It's a message of Jesus Christ's victory. Because people... They may not come to church. They may not listen to the podcast. They might not read the Bible. But they can see our lives. They can hear what we're saying as we go through our struggles, right? It's a, a message of Jesus Christ's victory in our lives for everyone who sees us. But the only way we can run this race and finish it well is to run by faith. To run by faith. And that's what we're going to see today here with Elijah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing each of us here today. I know a lot of us had to battle through a lot just to get here. And we're probably battling with things in our minds right now that we're fighting off, trying to focus on worship and the Word. We pray that your Holy Spirit, through your mercy and grace, would speak to each one of us. That you would empower us through the gift of faith to be victors, to live in victory in the midst of, to live in joy in the midst of many trials. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at another amazing running story here in 1 Kings. And it's Elijah who's running. Now we just saw that Elijah called off the drought according to God's command. He called fire down from heaven. The people will all say, well, God's real, Baal's not. You, know, you, know the story, you remember the story? If you weren't here, get the, go on the podcast or get the CDs on the way out. But the, So then he prays the rain, the big storm comes. So we see the, the revival is beginning. They've turned away from Baal. They're turning to the one true God. All cause, Elijah calls down fire from God. And now we pick up the rest of the story in 1 Kings 18, verse 45, where it says, Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. 
Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Okay, let's pick it up with verse 46 again. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. He has this amazing run. He runs 18 miles. They're not quite exactly sure, but about 18 miles here. And he out, the thing that was amazing, because we saw Pip ran a long way. Uh, first of all, we don't know that Elijah was a runner, <laughs> first of all. But, but we know he was empowered. He actually outran the horses. The chariot of horses, that's the amazing thing that, that he did. This, this was a, a supernatural run. It must still be a, a world record. We don't have a stopwatch on it. But I'm sure nobody's ever run quite this fast, you know, for that 18-mile run, right? He, he, it has to be a world record still because God empowered him for this supernatural run. He sent him to bring news of the victory, the good news of the victory of Jehovah. Jehovah conquers. He didn't run in and said, we can. He said, Jehovah conquers. Jehovah conquers. And he had to get there before Ahab could get there first. Because if Ahab got there first, he could maybe set a trap for Elijah. He also could spin the story, you know, somehow steal the glory from God, somehow make Baal come out looking like the good guy. Fake news is not new, okay? There's always been fake news, right? Uh, so uh, he had to get there before it could be spun, you know, with propaganda. You know, if you've read history, may, ever read history, you know, there's propaganda all the time. They could make everything sound different. And he had to get there first and tell the truth that Jehovah was the victor and that God wins. Now, Ahab finally does get there, verse, nine, verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. He fills Jezebel in. That probably wasn't the best marriage moment for them, I'm guessing, right? You know, they, they pro- that probably wasn't a happy moment, Kodak moment, you know, they, you know, Hallmark moment. It probably wasn't because here's Jezebel waiting for him to go off and finish off this Elijah, and expecting him to do it, takes 450 of her prophets with, with him just to make sure, sends them along just to make sure it gets done, sees the rain clouds, sees the rain. What is she probably thinking? Baal won. Baal was the victor. How could it be otherwise? 451 to 1. Come on. It's, it's an easy, right? Sends them off. You can imagine... She had a very bad temper. If you've read anything about Jezebel in the Bible, you see she kills people all the time. She's, you know, right, freaked out, screaming, freaking out, breaking vases, all kinds of stuff, right? So, uh, he tell, but look what it says there in verse 1. He says, he told her what Elijah had done. Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab still doesn't get it. What did Elijah do? Nothing. Elijah didn't do anything. Elijah didn't do anything. God did it all. But he had, but Ahab still doesn't get it. Remember back when he blamed Elijah for the drought? You troubler of Israel, right? He blamed him for the drought. And now he, and now he credits him for the fire. He gives him credit for fire from heaven. Elijah didn't do anything. God did it all. He, he, Ahab is spiritually clueless. He still doesn't get it. But we see the same today, don't we? With the godless today. 
they don't give God any credit. God is not part of the equation. They always focus on the secondary causes. Stuff that we can see God's doing. They constantly are trying to look for a secondary cause. You know, why, why are these extreme weather things happening? Is God, we can say, well, what is God trying to get our attention with a, with a hurricane or these terrible fires? Or what is God doing? And what do they say? Climate change. Climate change. Right? Right away. They look for that secondary cause instead of God's hand. And even if it is climate change, and that's up for question, but, but even if it is, God's still in control of even that. God is in control. He's in control of all of it. It's God's hand. Or, not only that, they focus on the human instrument that God uses. They're focusing on Elijah, the human instrument that God uses. That's what Jezebel does in verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. I'm going to get you, Elijah. She focuses on Elijah, not God, not Jehovah, who just, you know, sent fire from heaven and rain, right? No, she focuses on Elijah. See, they can't fight God, so they fight his kids. They can't attack God. They can't do anything to him. So they they go after his children. And that's what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about this very thing, verse 18, where he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. All the other gods are not the one. Everybody who's worshiping these other gods are not worshiping the one True God. And that's why that persecution is there. That's what Jesus is talking about. We see this today worldwide. We know this from Matthew 24 as it comes closer for Jesus to come back again, for the, the end times to happen. Persecution is again increase. We're seeing this happening all over the world, the worldwide persecution. You don't see it in most media accounts, but I've been sending you these news, uh, news sites to, to go on. If you haven't signed up for those, see me. I'll get you connected. There is constant, ongoing, worldwide persecution. They hate the children of Jesus Christ. And we see this in the USA today. It's starting. We're nothing like what's going around the world, but it's coming here too. The Bible says you will be hated by all nations because of me. That includes here. And even now we can see that true Bible-believing Christians are the one group it's okay to hate. There's one group you're allowed to hate in the United States today, and that is true Bible-believing Christians. Not fake Christians, not people that don't follow the Bible. I'm talking about actual born-again, Bible-believing disciples of Jesus Christ are the one group that you can hate. Now, going back to Elijah. Everything's going great. He calls down fire from heaven. He, call, he prays down rain from heaven. Everything's going great. Look what happens next. What are the 
one of the most mind-boggling verses in the Bible, for sure. One of the most unbelievable... I'm just going to read it. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Unbelievable. He runs away at the worst possible time. They just had a revival. Everybody knows Jehovah's the one true God. It's now time to move from revival to the Reformation. And he runs away. What the? Contrast chapter 18 and 19, and you have one of the most shocking. You know the Holy Spirit had to write this book. This is not man-made, man-written. Elijah would never have written this part, right? We know God has a reason. You know, this is God you know, writing this book. In chapter 18, Elijah runs before the chariot, outraces, sets a world record, outraces the chariots, and now he runs for his life. In chapter 18, he stood up to 450 prophets of Baal. Here, in chapter 19, he runs away from one woman. We've all done that, haven't we, guys? We, we kind of get that one, don't we? Anyway. In chapter 18, he prays down fire from heaven and prays down rain from heaven. And now in chapter 19, he's so down that he prays to die. Is this the same guy? Well, we're going to go into this next week. Don't miss next week. Well, I'm sorry, in two weeks. We're going to go into this in a couple weeks. And we're going to see why God let this happen and why he lets this happen to all of us. But how could Elijah go from A to Z so quickly? How could he go from faith to fear in the blink of an eye? How could that happen? We, I mean, we just can't grasp this, can we? We, we just can't. We just can't understand why he would do this. Because we would never do anything like this. You might know someone like this, who's done something like this, but we, we would never. I know I would never. We have never crashed spiritually like this, have we? When hit with an attack, when hit with a trial, when hit with a, a temptation. We have never crashed like this, have we? <laughs> we get the point. Elijah says here was afraid. Some of your versions out there say Elijah saw and ran. Some say afraid and ran. Both are very possible with, with, uh, with, with the, the word and the manuscript. Both are very possible. I'm gonna, so I'm going to combine them. Elijah saw and was afraid and ran. You put the two different words together. He saw and was afraid and ran. The same guy who was living by faith. We've been going through this for the past year, right? The same guy who at the brook waited patiently for the ravens to bring him food and drank out of this drying up brook by faith. The same guy who went then to the Widow went to the widow, the starving widow, and was miraculously given the food day after day, never ran out, shocking, right? It was by faith. Then he went and faced Ahab, faced him, and then he went and called down fire from heaven by faith, prayed down rain from heaven by faith. The same guy reverts 
reverts back to living by sight and fear. He saw and was afraid and ran. He reverts back after all of that. Can you believe that? What a spiritual wimp, right? Don't look in the mirror. Don't look in the mirror, right? He reverts back to living by sight and fear. He takes his eyes off of the king and focuses on an evil queen. Unbelievable. But what jumps out at us is that nothing good comes. Nothing good happens when we see with human eyes. He saw and was afraid. Nothing good can come of seeing with human eyes. The Bible teaches that over and over. Lot, remember Lot? Abraham's nephew, Lot, Genesis 13, 10. He ended up in all kinds of trouble. But listen to the, the source of his trouble, Lot's trouble. Verse 10, Genesis 13, 10. Lot looked up and saw. He looked up and saw that the whole land, the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt to, towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. He saw what looked good to human eyes. And where did he end up? He ended up in Sodom. And we all know how that ended up. The 12 spies. The 12 spies were sent to get ready to invade the land and plan it out. And we see in Numbers 13 what they did. And we're going to see what happened, what went wrong here. Numbers 13, verse 30. We'll start with uh, 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. Remember, Caleb and Joshua, the only two that said we can do it. But the men who had gone up with them, the other ten, gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. We saw, and they focused on what they saw. And was it true? Yeah, they were strong people. What they saw was true, but it was not seeing with faith. It was seeing with human eyes. And the result is they spent 40 years in the wilderness. They never moved forward spiritually. Those 10 Spies died in the wilderness along with that whole generation that followed what they saw. They didn't go in. The new generation had to go in. And just so you know, it's not just a, an Old Testament problem. There's also a, a New Testament problem. In Matthew, in Matthew 14, we have the story of Peter walking on the water, right? Well, let's, let's, let's read this. It says us a lot. Verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, we always pick on Peter, you know, Peter losing his faith on the water. But he's the only one who got out and walked on the water. Right? That's pretty good. He's out of the curve, at least. Right? 
But everything's, I mean, amazing, walking on water. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When he, when he saw the wind, and another, one of the other books says, saw the wind and the waves, he, he took his eyes off of Jesus and focused on the wind. And on the other passage, it was the waves. The wind and the waves. He's not looking at Jesus anymore. He's looking at the wind and the waves. He's looking at the storm instead of Jesus. And what happened? Sink, sank, sunk. Right? Some of you watch Christmas specials. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway. 2 Corinthians 5.7. If you have not memorized this one, what are you waiting for? Memorize it. And stick it on your forehead. Keep looking at it. It says, 2 Corinthians 5.7. For we live by faith. Not by sight. Some of your versions say, for we walk by faith, not by sight. That's the idea. Walking, living. We walk and live by faith, not by sight. The the second we stop walking by faith, we fall flat on our faces and we give in to fear. The moment we stop walking by faith, living by faith, we, we, we fall on our face, we give in to fear. When we walk by sight, our problems look so big and our God looks so small. Right? Isn't that what happens? As soon as, as soon as we walk, when we walk by faith, problems look so big, God looks so small. But when we walk by faith, God seems ginormous. God seems ginormous, and our problems all of a sudden shrink down to teensy, weeny, eeny little problems. They shrink down. Because faith takes our eyes off the trial and puts them where they belong, on Jesus. Remember Peter and the waves, right? It takes our eyes off the trial and keeps them on Jesus and what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. That's what we focus on. Jesus, what, what are you trying to do? Not what are you doing, but what are you trying to do? I know how some of you pray, right? <laughs> we all do, don't we? Yeah. God, what are you doing? No. What are you trying to do here? What are you trying to do in my life? The key to finishing the, the race of life well is to run by faith. That's why I tweaked it. Instead of walk by faith, I said run by faith. It's to run it by faith. Hebrews 12. In Hebrews 12, where it says here, talking about running, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, uh, who endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Woo! The key to finishing the race is to run it by faith. That the race here, he says, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. The word there for race, we've talked about this before, in Greek is agon. It's where we get the word 
agony. The race is agony. If you've ever run cross country, if you've ever long, long, run long distance, for some of you, you've even run 100 yards like me, yeah, that'd be agony, right? Agony. It's, it's agony. But it's marked out for us. Look at that. Each one of us has a race marked out for us. God has a purpose for us. And the key is here is fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on coach. He's the coach. He's the coach. He's telling us where to, to where to go. And he's the coach. It, and he, and he, uh, he's, look at the perfecter of our faith. He's trying to perfect us. He's trying to perfect us. And he knows what it will take. Uh, Cam isn't here, but he uh, ran, ran track. And I was talking about track the other day. And, and his times, he did some great times for a freshman. But, but the coach, I ran track. I hated it. But the coach, he, he would give us workouts. And if you were a sprinter, you got this easy little workout. If you're a distance runner, you got this hard workout, you know. And, and, and he would, my, he knew what race we were going to run, whether it was the 100 yard dash, the quarter mile, the half mile, the 880 now, uh, the, the 1600, the two mile. He knew the hurdles. He knew what race every one of us was going to run because he had put us in the races. He's planning it out. And so he crafted the practice just right for everybody. We didn't all just go out and run together, take a jog, you know, and have fun. No, everybody had their own workout. And none of them were fun. After the race, it was fun. We went to McDonald's or something, right? But until then, no, it was, it was hard work. But he was preparing us for the race that he was going to put us in. And God, Coach Jesus, does the same thing. All we got to do is look to him. Okay, now what? What's, what, what do you got me doing now? What are you trying to accomplish in my life now? And that's the key is fix our eyes on Jesus. He's perfecting us. He has a goal. He knows the times. He knows what he wants us to do in that race. And look what he went through. Look what it says he went through. The cross and the attacks of sinful men. What he endured, he endured the cross. He died on a cross in our place for our sin. He took it on himself. He took all that attacked from sinful men. Just like Elijah ran from it, Jesus didn't run from it. And the key, to our pers- this, the key to our perseverance, the key to not growing weary and losing heart is fixing our eyes on Coach Jesus and running by faith. It's running by faith. Some of you, I don't know if you've been following the story about this Marine who ran the Boston Marathon. Probably most of you have, have followed that story. It's just such a touching story. But there's a Marine... This year's Boston Marathon, uh, his name was Mike, Micah Herndon, 31-year-old Marine veteran. He was running to try to qualify for the New York City Marathon, but also for his three fallen friends who were, who were killed, uh, uh, Juarez, Ballard, and Rup, uh, Hamer. And he, whenever he runs, he would say their names, say their names, say their names, and it would just keep him going. All three were killed when their vehicle was hit by an IED in Afghanistan in 2010. He was in the convoy. He wasn't killed, but his three friends were killed. And so to deal with this trauma, he took up long-distance running and marathon running. Really touching story. And the whole time, he just focuses on those three friends, says their names, and keeps on running. And that's how he honors them, and that's how he keeps his sanity, really, is, is doing this. And uh, But he ran the Boston Marathon, and if you didn't see the story uh it's boston marathon is not easy you run into at about the 18 year mark 18 mile mark you run into the wall heartbreak hill 
the wall, heartbreak hill. And a couple miles later, at mile 22, his legs locked up. He couldn't use his legs. He said, I, that's when I knew I was not going to qualify for the New York City Marathon. I wasn't going to hit my goal time. He was only missing by two minutes of the previous one. He was trying so hard to do it. But I didn't want to quit because of my friends. And he just kept saying their name and focusing on that. But one of the legs gave out. The other leg gave out. He is, finally, he's 100 yards from the finish line. And he cannot use his legs. He's done. I'm going to let you see the video to see what happened next. It's going to be on the YouTube. You can watch it in the sermon. And also that clip will be on um, the podcast site. And so you're going to have it at both places to watch it. Okay? But wow, huh? Crawls. Crawls. He could barely crawl. And he just kept focusing on those friends. We... On a brutal race. We're running the race to agony. Every one of us. We run for someone who died for us. These guys died heroically. But we run for someone who purposefully died for us on that cross. And just as he focused on those names, we only have one name to remember. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's what keeps us going. And that's, it's running by faith in Jesus. Running by faith. How is God calling us to live by faith? How is he calling us to walk by faith? How is he calling us to run this race by faith? To persevere. Maybe you feel like giving up, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, when we take, when we take our eyes off of Jesus... We take his, our, eye, our eyes off of his word. 
The moment we do that and we focus on what's in front of us, what we see in front of us, we crash. Elijah's not the only one, is he? Not by a long shot. We crash. Maybe you've fallen on your face. Maybe you've backslidden. It's never too late. It's never too late to start moving forward in faith again, no matter what. To keep moving forward, even if we have to crawl. And some days it feels like that, doesn't it? We're just crawling. But we keep crawling in faith. Will we walk by faith? Will we follow God's word? Faith in what he's given us, his word. Or we, or we listen to the deceptive world. Will we listen to our sinful flesh? Will we, will we listen to our distorted feelings that have been maimed by sin and by the world? Will we listen to our feelings? Or, once again, the world, the flesh, our feelings. Or will we, by faith, follow God's word? Will we have a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview. Have you been saved by faith? Before you can crawl the finish line, the first step in the race is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever taken the step of faith and given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you ever acted on his love? John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus? Have you ever put your faith in him? Taking that first step. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us as we go to this time of prayer? Maybe you're here today and you've never taken that first step of faith, but God is calling you and speaking to you and the Holy Spirit is pulling on you right now. Spirit to spirit, saying today is the day to take the first step of this race. The first step that will change the rest of our life and all throughout eternity is the first step of faith. Are you ready to put your faith in Jesus Christ? To give your life to him. You can do that right now. The simple prayer of faith. God, I believe your son Jesus died on the cross in my place so that I could live a new life. I put my faith in him. I give my life to Jesus. I don't want the sin and the garbage anymore. I walk away from that old life. I'm going to follow Jesus in this race. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, You have just entered into an amazing race that starts this second and will go on all the way into eternity. 
You are now a child of God, and you now have Jesus as your coach. And you're going to be filled, just as Elijah was filled with God's power to run this race, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit now. His power to live this life, to walk in faith. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ today, I want to encourage you to let somebody know today. Maybe you're here with a family member or a friend. Tell them right now, before you leave today. Maybe tell me on the way out. If you don't have anybody, tell me on the way out. Fill out the card, stick it in the box. Text, email me. Let somebody know. Because we're going to encourage you and be excited for you. And help you in this race. Maybe you're here today and you've already put your faith in Christ. Maybe you're already running down that, that, that marathon. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about something. Maybe we've taken our eyes off of our coach. Maybe we've looked around and started to be tempted by the world or influenced by our feelings or, or the sinful flesh. Maybe, we're, maybe we've been intimidated by... by the sinful men, the attacks that are constant in our society. Maybe we're going through a tremendous trial. A tremendous trial. And today is the day that we say, God, I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight. Every minute, every second, just like breathing, it's going to be by faith. Looking to you, Jesus. Depending on you. Father, I pray that each one of us, and I know we get knocked down all the time, even if we have to crawl, Lord, spiritually, that, it, that we would begin to move forward again that we would have hope after today, that we'd be encouraged by your promises and your word, that we would take a message of victory, that people would see the victory in our life, not because it's a perfect life, but because they see your mercy and grace in our life. And they see the victory that we have, the joy that we have, not cheap happiness, but the joy that we have, no matter what we're going through that people would hear the message loud and clear, I have victory. Jesus has won the victory in my life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.